Um, so I was actually supposed to be here last week, and I think Josh told you all that I was actually really, really sick over the weekend. Um, so thankfully, he was able to fill in for me. Um, and then uh, he had Marcus actually fill in for him this morning. So then he texted me Monday morning, was like, hey, you want to do it this weekend instead? And I was like, yeah, sure, let's do it. So uh, instead of preaching to you last week on contentment, which I've listened to Josh's sermon since, and he did a really great job, um, I am going to close this out on the book of Philippians. Um, I don't know how many of you have been here for either the majority or all of or just some of uh, the Philippians series, but it's been really good. Um, for, especially for the ones that I have been able to be here for. I haven't been here for all of them, but I've been here for a fair amount. And, and Philippians has been really, really good to us. And um, I know one of the things that I've heard Josh stretch about it is, is just how much we can just feel how much Paul cares for this church, how much he loves this church. Um, and we've seen him over the course of the book really exhort and encourage them uh, to things like joy and peace and unity and then last week you heard contentment, um, and which is all really interesting, especially those characteristics in particular, because we know that Paul's writing this to them from a prison cell. So for him to be talking about things like joy and peace and contentment are seemingly strange, um, but, they're, but they're really, really good, and they're really fascinating, and they're super powerful, um, and they speak to just how much uh, Paul really, really loves this church. So, but we get down to this, this tail end in chapter four, and this is kind of the climax of, of, his, of his encouragement to the Philippians. Um, and, and it flows really well, strictly from contentment to this next section that we're, we're about to close with as far as the book is concerned. Um, so we're starting in verse 14 of chapter four, and we're gonna go to the end of the chapter. And it says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and, and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To God our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ be with your spirit. So the first thing I want us to talk about starts in, in verses 14 through, six, through, uh, through 16, and, and it has to do with this partnership that Paul and the Philippian church have. I talked about really quickly how much Paul really seems to love this church, but it's not just a sense in which he, he loves them and he, he helped plant that church, and then he's gone and he just kind of communicates back with them. This is a, this is a very real partnership. They are co-laborers for the gospel. It's really cool that you got to hear from Marcus this morning before this sermon because we are now as a church getting to live this out very 
practically. It looks very real to us now because Paul, as we know, planted the church at Philippi. It was the very first church that he ever planted in Europe. And then he left. And since then, what we get from here is that the Philippians have been sending him gifts, more than likely financial resources, to kind of help him. Um, because I think the church, at, the church at Philippi realizes that they're not the ones who are going out to the ends of the earth. They are ministering to, in Philippi and trying to proclaim the gospel in Philippi while Paul is not there. But they have someone who they know is ministering to the ends of the earth, who is seeking to proclaim the gospel and Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so they're doing what they can to support him in his labor for the gospel, and that's give to him, financially support him, pray for him, let him, let him know that they love and care for him, and that they are very much involved in the work that he's doing. Marcus made the illustration this morning of, of the Air Force, if you were here, that only 4% of the Air Force, the entire operation, is pilots, even though that's what we normally think of. But the Air Force is far more than just the pilots, right? So when we talk about laboring for the gospel, it goes far beyond just missionaries. And when we talk about Bible translation and, and that kind of important thing, it goes far beyond just the Bible translators. They need people who are supporting them and who are loving them. And that same kind of partnership that we're about to have with Marcus and his family is exactly what this church at Philippi has with Paul. So this is something very real and something that we can kind of resonate with, this partnership um, that they have. And then he gets into their giving. Now, the title of the sermon is Giving a Mark of a Healthy Church. And it's really interesting that he's moved from contentment to, hey, thanks for your gifts. Because it almost seems, almost like there should be some tension there when he's talking about being content in all of his circumstances and that he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. He can be content in all circumstances because of Christ who, strength, Christ who strengthens him, and now he's talking about thanking them for their financial support. There, it seems like there would be tension there. It just seems like there should be, right? That, that it's uh, a little awkward. But it's not. And, and Paul is going to make it clear why he can both be content and be super thankful and uh, super excited about their spirit of giving. And we're going to go through a couple or three reasons why, why I think and why I believe that Paul is, and he, while Paul says he's super excited about their spirit of giving. So we're going to start with verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So he, he clarifies really quick, I'm not thanking you for your gift to seek more. I'm thanking you for your gift because I know about the fruit that's coming to your credit. Paul doesn't necessarily seek the money but he desires what their spirit of giving means for them and the fruit that it bears. This word fruit isn't very uncommon to us. I was actually thinking about it a little bit and it kind of blew my mind that it was two years ago from about this time period that we went through a series on the fruit of the spirit. Some of you all may remember that. It was actually, it was, one of the, it was the first sermon series that I was a part of since coming to First Baptist Church of Fairdale. Um, and so I was thinking about that and it kind of blew my mind, but one of the things that all the preachers who, who preached in that series really stressed is that the fruit of the Spirit, we call them fruit because they're characteristics that bear themselves out in the life of a believer as the Spirit is at work in us, right? They start to, they start to come out of who we are as we start to grow more 
in our understanding of the mercy that we've been shown in Christ Jesus and the Spirit working in us. So we start to bear fruit. So what Paul means when he says, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit, is he means that he desires for the Philippians to be displaying the evidence that they are growing in a love for Jesus and an understanding of the mercy they've been shown and a, and a desire for that kind of gospel to go to the ends of the earth. That's what he means by, I seek the fruit to your credit. Now I know how much you love Jesus, how much you love the gospel being proclaimed because you're willing to give of yourselves, your time, and your resources towards it. You're bearing out fruit. In, eight, in verse 18, he continues, I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you've sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. We all may remember Epaphroditus from the end of chapter 2. He's someone who had, seems to have this connection to both Paul and the church at Philippi, and he has kind of been almost, it seems like, an in-between um, as far as communication. But Epaphroditus has apparently brought another gift and the way that Paul describes this gift that they have given to him is really, really fascinating. Uh, he calls it a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So the second thing, second reason that Paul really loves that they have a spirit of giving and he's really excited about that is the fragrant, is I, I've titled it the fragrance of their offering. Paul is connecting their gift to an offering. In order for us to kind of understand what we're talking about with offering, we have to kind of think Old Testament, right? He's, he's making a connection back to a sacrificial system in the Old Testament. Uh, I don't know how much you all maybe know about that, but what, essentially what would happen is the, the greatest form of worship for, for the ancient Israelites was to offer sacrifices to God, right? They would come and they would bring, depending upon what kind of offering it was, they would bring a bull or they would bring a goat or they would even bring um, a certain kind of food, unleavened bread, things like that. Um, and what they would do is they would give it to the priest. The priest would kill it, and he would sprinkle blood. But then he would also burn the offering. And in the Bible, what the Bible describes when it comes to that burnt offering is that it, it, it created an aroma that was pleasing to the Lord. And the reason it was, right, is because a lot of those offerings meant they were, they were doing that in order to have their sins forgiven, right? Or they were doing it as a form of worship, to God and for the people to be worshiping him or to be confessing their sins to him in that way is a pleasing thing to God. So the burnt offerings were a pleasing aroma. And that's what he's connecting this gift to is this sense of, of an offering. Giving is pleasing to God because it's obedience to God. Paul loves and, and, and equates this gift to a fragrant offering because he knows that they are being obedient. They are doing what they can to advance the gospel. They're not a part of the very small percentage that are missionaries that are out preaching it, but they're, doing, they're, they're fulfilling their role in the proclamation of the gospel and taking it to the ends of the earth, and that is giving of their selves their, and their resources. That's what they can do. They may not be Paul, who's out there preaching, but they can support the people who are. And that becomes, a, that's a sacrifice, it's an offering that's pleasing to God. I want to be clear that our giving, while it pleases God, it's not, it's not salvific. 
when he equates it to the offering, a lot of the offerings in the Old Testament were meant to bring forgiveness of sins. But that's not the connection that he's making. The offering is pleasing to God, but it doesn't rescue people from, it doesn't rescue us from sin. It doesn't give any kind of credit to us when it comes to our salvation. But what it does is it is a form of, or what it is is it's a form of worship, right? You probably, you probably have heard um, at some point in your life that you can tell what you worship by, by what you give of yourself to something, what you spend your time on, or what you spend your money on, right? You've probably heard something like that or something similar. It's a similar concept here. Paul is saying, this is a very real form of worship because you're, you're giving to me. And what's even huge about this is more than likely the church of Philippi is fairly poor. Philippi is not a very big city. In fact, there wasn't even a synagogue, which is normally where Paul would go to initially proclaim the gospel when he came to a city. But there's no record of a synagogue being in Philippi, which means it was more than likely really small, or there were, there at, at the most, there weren't enough men to make up a synagogue. So the church is fairly poor, but what they are doing is giving of the, what they can, and that's sacrificial giving. And it's, and it's a pleasing offering to God. It pleases God. But he continues in, in verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. So he knows that God is going to supply their need, their every need, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. This leads us to the third thing that I think, why, why Paul is so thrilled at their spirit of giving, of their willingness to give of what they have. And that is because it displays their faith in the provision of God. Paul knows that a willingness to sacrificially give of, 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 of your time or of, your, of yourself or of your resources displays that you believe that God is able to provide for your needs. And that's what he's talking about with Philippi. The fact that they're willing to give even a portion of what little they have shows that they firmly believe that, that their God is able to provide for their needs. He is able to meet their needs. It stems from a strong faith. In some ways, this takes us back to, being con- to our contentment, right? Being content with what we have or our circumstances. The more content we are, the easier it is to give, and all that comes from a strong faith, especially a strong faith in a God who's able to provide for our basic needs. Um, I don't know that I've had a whole lot of time to tell maybe any of you or all of you uh, much of this story, but this is what resonates with me. Um, Emily and I are from South Carolina. We moved here two years ago, and, and, I, and you probably don't know much about that background, but we got married in the summer of 2015, and before leading up to that, I had been in charge of trying to plan all of what we were going to do as far as where we were going to live and things like that when we got here, and I was doing my best to find a job and, and things like that. Uh, well, we got married in July, and I thought that we had an apartment set up. And I want to say it was either two or three days into our honeymoon that I got a phone call from the apartment complex up here in Louisville that said, hey, we have somebody else who's here and has all their stuff turned in and all their money ready to go, which is what was really the important thing. And, 
And they said, so we're actually, we're actually giving them the apartment. So I said, okay, cool. <laughs> I immediately looked at Emily and I said, I'm not worrying about this right now. It's our honeymoon. So I just called my parents and told them just so that they knew and, and said, we're not going to worry about this. This is our, this is our honeymoon. But if, if you feel so led to look into something, go ahead. Um, but all this is about three weeks before we planned on moving up here. And so I got back, and, and my mom actually, through a series of events, we had found out that the seminary was actually still holding an apartment complex, or an apartment for us, which was a miracle in itself, because they had emailed us about it two months previous, and I hadn't responded because I thought I had something set up. But they were still holding it. So we now had a place to live, but it still wasn't going to be available until a week after we were moving up here. So we had to find somewhere to stay for a week. Still fully planning on moving up at the very beginning of August. And the very weekend leading into when we were going to move up here, we still had nothing. And we were, we were down somewhere for one of my best friend's weddings, and I got a phone call Friday night before the Monday we were going to move up here and said, hey, man, I found, it was one of my friends who said, hey, I figured something out. You can stay with a professor for a couple nights, and then I've got a church, or his church is actually going to put you up in their missionary house for the rest of the week. And I said, holy cow, that's insane. And it was great. So now we have a home, at least. Still don't have jobs, though. So we, so we moved up here, and it was a whirlwind of a day, but we, we stayed in the church's missionary house, and uh, we went to that church that Sunday morning, and because we were, they were allowing us to stay in their missionary house, so we went. And it was actually through that that I met my current boss, and I got a job a day after that Sunday. And then... Actually, a month later, Emily ended up working with me temporarily until she got her teaching license for Kentucky, and now she does that. The reason I tell you this isn't to, to tell you, oh man, look at, look at his faith or anything like that, or look how cool that, or look how crazy that is. But what I am trying to tell you that is, is if, if you don't believe in a providential God, you need to. Because he is able to go above and beyond what you could possibly think to provide exactly what you need. And I believe the Philippian church believed that when they were giving of what little they had so that Paul could go out and proclaim the gospel. They had a strong faith, so much so that they knew that God would provide their very basic needs. And that's huge. And then he's going to end uh, with a final greeting. He, he ends the book the same way that he started it, um, he, he says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are here with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Man, Paul, Paul really, really loves this church. And, and they really love him. A, a significant characteristic of a really healthy church. Um, but in this very closing statement, he closes it the same way he, he started it, grace to you. Um, he desires for them, if nothing else, after the encouragement of the entire letter, that they be continually experiencing the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that you've heard numerous of, you have to have, have heard this numerous times that we are saved by grace alone, right? We're not saved by anything we can do. 
Uh, we're not saved by anything that we can seek to accomplish or anything that we can learn. We are saved solely by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. I think, I think most of us all know that and we all believe it, even when it's difficult to believe that and to get it implanted in our minds. But here's what I also want you to know, and here's what I think Paul is really communicating with this very final verse, is not only are you saved by grace alone, but you're sustained by grace alone. The only way that we continue to become a better church, the only way that we foster a spirit of giving, of, love, of joy and peace and unity and contentment, is by growing in the grace of Jesus Christ and coming to an even greater understanding of what his mercy means to us, of how great his love is for us, of just how much he is able to provide for us. That's what it means for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to be with your spirit, that your spirit and, and your heart start to learn that and they start to believe it and then it starts to bear itself out in things like joy and peace and unity and contentment. And in this very last passage, a spirit of giving. We're called to live generously, and we do that by, by having the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with our spirit and growing and growing deeper in that. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the book of Philippians. It has been a tremendous encouragement to me, and I believe that it has to our church. God, I'm really thankful for the, a lot of the example that we have uh, in the church at Philippi, that they were so willing to, to give of themselves, to give of their resources um, for the proclamation of the gospel. There's a lot that we can learn, and we can also learn even more by what Paul has to say about the topic and why he's so encouraged by them. God, I pray that you would instill in us and this church a spirit of generosity and a spirit of giving. May we desire to give of ourselves and our time and our resources as much as possible uh, to the proclamation of the gospel and in, in a very real way for us in the translation of the Bible. God, because we want to, to know, and it's good for us to know, that it, it is fruit that will be born out of our hearts. It is a fragrant offering, something that pleases you, and it is a testament that you are building up a faith in us that you are able to provide for our every need. We love you. It's your holy, precious name we pray. Amen.